If you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to Joshua. And just for a few moments, um, we are going to look at Joshua chapter 5. And uh, I'm sharing a, a series of messages And others are coming amongst us and sharing a series of messages entitled New Generation Revolution. I really feel that God wants to speak to us as a church afresh about being the generation. Joshua is a book where a generation stood up and stepped out. There was a whole generation that died in the wilderness. And it was the generation of Joshua's time that entered promise. And so this is what we're looking at as a church, is being the the generation of today. It doesn't matter whether you're uh, a man called Caleb was over 80 years of age, and yet he had a new generational heart, an open heart to God. So you can be eight or 80, and it's about your open heart to be a new generation of believers for this generation. So uh, we've been looking at this. Uh, I don't don't want to say any more on that, but have a look on our, uh, listen to some of the messages as we've been unpacking this. So this morning, I just want to take um, uh, the theme of consecration before conquest is uh, what we're going to look at this morning. And uh, so if you've got a Bible, then turn to chapter 5. If you haven't, listen for a moment or two. A few verses that we're going to read. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until uh, we had crossed over, their hearts sank and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why, now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age died in the desert on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the desert, sorry, during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites moved about the desert 40 years until all the men who were of military age, when they um, left Egypt, had died. Since they had not obeyed the Lord, for the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land that he had solemnly promised their fathers to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place. See, another generation. Another generation were raised up because one generation sat back or gave up. And God does this throughout life and history. He's always looking for fresh followers. But you can be fresh no matter how long you've walked along the way. And this is what we're looking at. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had been um, circumcised along the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they had healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. It means rolling away his reproach. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, we camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho. The Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover, the very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now, 
When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. He saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. The place where you're standing is holy ground. So, we're going to just unpack a few things, three things this morning regarding uh, what we've, looking at what we've, what, we've just, what we've just read. Consecration becomes uh, before, uh, comes before conquest. And that's what I want to look at over the next few moments. You know, what we've read is that there was a miracle. The, the waters opened up, this raging torrent of a river, an obstacle that was impossible, an obstacle that they could never have crossed on their own, couldn't have made enough boats, and they wouldn't have been able to get across with all the families. We've looked at this when we, we've been looking at this over the last few weeks. So there was a miracle when the, the river opened up, and this caused complete consternation among the kings of the day, the Canaanite kings of the day. We've just read that, verses 1 and 2. The people that lived in the land at that time, and they were city-states, hence there were different kings over different cities over the land in that area, were in absolute consternation. They were frightened. They were fearful. They were dismayed that this God, who was the God of the Israelites, seemed to be a God over the whole land. Not just a God of the hills or the valleys or the streams or a river, but seemed God of everywhere. And this sent them to run for cover. They were absolutely gnashing their teeth. Their knees would have been knocking. I tell you what, they were being worse than, don't panic, Captain Mannering of Dad's army. They would have been absolutely filled with terror. And this is the picture. There was complete terror. Now, surely, this would be the time to strike strategically. Filled with terror, this would be the time. Surely, you've crossed. Big miracle. Everybody's in disarray. Now, if you're a commander of an army, which Joshua was, and he was a commander of, 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 a, of, a, of, a, of an army of people, and he'd been Moses' commander, he was skilled and trained in military tactics. This would have been the time to strike. This is the time of the moment. This is the moment of miracle. Surely the moment of miracle, with this strategy in place, the people in disarray, all the people of the land, was the time to strike. But no, they were told it's time to stop for a moment. Stay at Gilgal. And um, God's plans sometimes seem to you and I, not sometimes, but quite often to me, I don't know about you, they seem to be, this doesn't make sense, God. You know, you're God. You're supposed to be all-knowing, but this, this isn't right. Strategically, this isn't sense. Strategically, it would not have been sense. It would have made more sense to strike. Because you know what they say? Strike while the iron's hot. That isn't always true. That isn't always true. Now, this is something interesting. Uh, This struck me, and uh, I've, I've had to grapple with this over the years. God's plans are perfect, good, and true. Because why? Well, God is love. God is good. God is almighty. He's all knowing. He's perfect. He's sovereign of all creation. His plans are perfect and true, but His plans aren't like my plans. My human understanding, my finite mind, would say, do this and do it now. But God has a plan and agenda. This is interesting. This is a point for life here for you and I. The best place to be in our lives, in our marriages, in our homes, as a church, I've discovered as a Christian leader, as a father, 
as a pastor, as a person, as a human being, is to be in the plan of God. That's a challenge for life. At times when I say, and your friends will say, do this, do that, strike here, go there, apply for that, make that plan. It might be that God says, wait for a moment, wait a minute. God's timetable plans are good. They're good, but his plans and times are not always what we expect. And this is an absolute point in case with this story. There's a big learning curve. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in an age that says, do it. This is why I never make a knee-jerk reaction to anything. I sort of drive, I drive, I drive Helen, I drive my wife Helen sometimes a bit mad because I tend to take a long time on nearly everything. And sometimes that can almost move into a bit of procrastination. Mm, shall I, shall I? There's a, there's a danger with this. But on the other hand, I will never try to do any knee-jerk reaction. There are times to strike when the iron's hot, but God will be in it. And there are times that it seems to strike because the iron's hot and God's not in it. And this is what we need to know. This is what we need to discern. So we're going to look at how we do that. Now, it's interesting. So this is why I say consecration comes before conquest. Consecration is this. We're going to look at three acts of consecration in the next few moments that we're going to unpack just for a moment or two. To consecrate means this, to set yourself apart. To come away from distraction and concentrate on what God wants for your life. Okay? That's literally what it means. I spent a long time talking about this a couple of weeks ago. Listen to that online. But that's basically what it is. So, so, so what God was saying now is it's time to put aside certain distraction certain agendas, and I want you to rely on me. This is what God is saying when he says, I want you to consecrate your life. He's saying this, put aside your agenda for a moment. Put aside your timetable. I want you to truly learn to be a generation, to be a new generation that relies on me. And this is how you do that. You just need to take a moment to unhitch. So it's interesting this morning, when Linda shared the message of let go, that's interesting, isn't it? You have to unhitch, you have to let go of certain things in life so that when your hand is open, you can reconnect with what God has for you in life. And this is what consecration, the act of consecration. So there's three things that help us with this act of, as it were, setting aside ourselves and connecting again with God. First thing is this, they had to renew their covenant relationship. Look at this. If you look at verses 2 to 9, and so do we, and we'll look at this, what this means for you and I today. The act of reconnecting is something that we, we, we need day by day. Not, it's a not one cure-all for life, just that, that we do it once. I'll, I'll explain what I mean. So we need to renew our covenant relationship. What they did at Gilgal was, it says, God said, I want you to make flint knives and circumcise all the warriors. Now, that does not fill me with any, any delight at all, particularly when he says flint knives. I mean, they'd be even blunter than a, than a, a stainless steel knife. I mean, none, neither of them fill me with any, any sense of delight or glee. But, um, but th- this is the gist of what, what they're saying. The covenant, they had to renew their covenant. The covenant that God gave Abraham was the covenant through circumcision. It was a way of setting the people aside to give their lives to God. A covenant is an agreement. God gave Abraham a covenant, an agreement that says, if you follow me, your seed, your children will fill the world and I will bless you. It's a 
covenant and agreement. Okay? And in the Old Testament, that sign of that agreement, if you will follow me, was through the act of circumcision. So in the, in the wilderness, a whole group of people rebelled against God. And he says that. They, they died in the desert. And so the new group of people growing up, they hadn't been through that circumcision. And so what God was saying is, I want you to renew your agreement. I want to renew the connection. That's the gist of what's being said here. Now, in the New Testament, we are people of the new covenant. And they, I'm, I'm so glad about that. I'm telling you now. Hey, I'm so glad. We are, but we are now circumcised in the heart by the Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we have a new, beautiful, perfect, by grace, covenant agreement that if we give our hearts to God, we believe in Jesus Christ and give our hearts, then we will know his freedom and forgiveness and he will set us free. We shall live forevermore. And there is this aspect where on that day they had to renew their covenant relationship. It's interesting, isn't it? God is a living God and commitment needs to be current. This is the bottom line, folks. God is a God of the living, not the dead. At Easter, we, we will talk about it again and again. When the, when the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Why is that? Jesus is alive. And so our commitment needs to be current because there's a living God. It's not dead and buried. And it's, I, I became a Christian in 66 or 89 or 98 or 2012 or whatever it was. But it's relationship is something that is current. And so commitment, our, our commitment needs to be current, fresh. Alive. And this is what is being said. This is what is being done. Um, this is the, the gist of the story. We need to renew our relationship commitment through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. Not that we have to say, oh God, you know, and we, we, we come from, the work, from scratch and we come from the beginning. But there needs to be something in our lives that is fresh in our commitment to Jesus Christ. We can't rely on the past. We can't rely on our preferences. If we rely on the past, it's history. And if we rely on our preferences, it can be our traditions. In our traditions, our history, it can be great. I, I spoke about this when I looked at the idea of memories and monuments. The memory must be living, current and fresh. We bring those great he could did it, then he can do it again. And so our commitment needs to be current. Commitment strengthens connection. This is the key. Our commitment needs to be current, fresh today, and that's what strengthens our connection, the relationship. I don't know about you, but when people ask me, are you religious? You know, I, I, most of us will say, no, it's all about a relationship. But I would say that's absolutely true, isn't it? I need to tell myself that every day. It's a relationship with you, Jesus. It's a relationship with you, Jesus. You know, tell yourself that today and tomorrow and the next day. And so commitment needs to be fresh, current. And that builds the connection. We will feel that we know him. So when we sing songs like, you know, praise the name of Jesus. You know, your name, yours is the only name. Well, we need to feel that fresh and current today. Otherwise, we feel shaken. And so there's a sense where as they stopped at Gilgal, rather than charge on, oh, let's all go in, oh, God's with us, will the victory. Hang on a minute, wait. Fresh, heart, open. Holy Spirit, have your way today in my marriage, in my home, in our church, in my life. 
It needs to be current. And isn't that beautiful? We don't have to work hard at that. Jesus said, oh, I'm going away, but I will be with you. As Tim led us, Emmanuel means with us today, right here, right now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, right here and right now. So our commitment needs to be current. God is a living God, and so therefore the relationship is a living relationship. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 23, in, the, in that book, in that letter rather, um, in the Old Testament, we read in verse 23 of Lamentations 3, 23, that the mercy and love of God are new every morning. New every morning. Lamentations 3, verse 23. God's mercy, God's love is new every morning. So we need to feel that, know that, walk in that every day. So I ask you the question, is your commitment, you don't have to answer to me, and I'm not talking and pointing the finger at any of you, and, but God sees you, is your commitment current today? Is it? Honestly, is it current? Is it fresh? Is your commitment current? You can do something about that by opening up your heart today and saying, God, I love you. God, take my life. Jesus, I want to walk with you. Fill me, Holy Spirit, afresh. Uh, And so that's something we can come each day, each day. Isn't that amazing? A living relationship with the living God. And so that's beautiful. And this is what they were learning, to rely on the living God. We've got it so much better. We've got mercy. We've got grace. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit in us and amongst us and through all of us today, relying on him today, at this very moment, at this very hour. And there will come an hour, there comes a moment where we need to know, and at that very hour, and that very moment, that very second in your life and my life, where I need to know, I need to know that I know, is this God, is this right? You can say, new every day. I know you, Lord. Better still, God says, I know you. I know you. Keep the relationship current we do that by opening up our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Second thing is this, moving on swiftly. Second thing is this, um, they were to not only um, renew their covenant relationship, they were to remember the power of Passover. This is how we consecrate or set ourselves apart. This is the process. Second thing is this, we need to remember the power of Passover. In verses 10 to 12, it says, at Gilgal, they spent a number of days healing after the renewal of the covenant and then it says that they took the Passover. The Passover was a meal and it it helped them remember the time back a generation ago when in Egypt when they were bound, the Israelite people were bound in slavery, God said to Moses, I want you to prepare a meal where you take a lamb and you will slay it and um This meal will be as an act of Passover because the angel of death is coming to the whole of Egypt. It will take every firstborn child. But when you um, close your doors, you take this meal and uh, in the preparation of this meal with the lamb, you place the blood of this lamb over the doors of your house. The angel of death will pass over. In other words, you'll be blessed. You'll be free. You'll be alive. And that's exactly what happened when they took this meal and every Israelite family, when they slayed the lamb and they, they ate the bread. It would have been a big meal, a proper a big meal. Um, when the angel of death came that night and they put the blood of the lamb on the doors of their house, the angel of death passed over. And they were remembering and bringing back to living memory a miracle of God's deliverance that death cannot even hold you, hold them. Now, this is really interesting, 
and really powerful. It has a powerful meaning for you and I today. Because Jesus said when he, he was taking Passover, so when Jesus was taking Passover meal with his friends and disciples, remembering the deliverance of, from death all those centuries before, he then said, this is the bread, this is my body broken for you. And as they took the cup, this is my cup poured, of blood poured out for you. He became the living Passover lamb that was slain for the whole world. So whereby death has no sting over anyone that believes in God through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Bring it to living memory. This is the power of Passover, the power of the life of Jesus. John, in his gospel, um, speaks about this is the lamb who will take away the sins of all the world, pointing to Jesus. And John, who wrote the book of Revelation, says, I saw one like the lamb slain for the sins of the world. The one who looks like the lamb slain, and speaking again of Jesus. And Jesus is that lamb. He's likened to a picture of a lamb slain for the world. He is the Passover lamb for all the billions of creation. How amazing is that? It's this power in remembering. And so Paul says this, um, in his writings and letters in the New Testament, death has no sting. Even death, nothing can separate you and I from the love of God. Not death, nor height, nor power, not even death. What does it mean? It means nothing is impossible for God, not even death. Whatever seems impossible for you and me, the darkest of hours, the horriblest of moments, what doesn't seem to be able to happen, what seems impossible for you and me is possible for God. That's the power of Passover. That's the power of the living lamb, Jesus Christ, who defeats even the power of death. But it's not just for the future, so when we die, we shall be raised into heaven. But that's the strength of the power of Passover today. For God's miracle of deliverance is now also. Same power that raised Christ from the dead. Paul says, at work in you who believe, we can experience the same resurrection life. And so in life, when we have an obstacle, a difficulty, a situation that seems impossible to you, we don't know how, where to turn. We don't know what decision to make. We can't now understand, how can I put this back together again? What can I do in my family? What can I do in my job? What's going to happen in our church? What's going to happen in the nation or the world? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing is impossible for God. It's the power of the remembrance of Jesus, our Passover lamb, who is alive forevermore. There's power in remembering and bringing to living memory. If he did it then, he can do it again. Do it in my life. Do it in my marriage. Do it in my work. Do it in my home. Do it in my, in my, my um, decisions that I'm going to make. God, you make a way. So just as he opens up a way... He does it again and again and again and again. It's the miracle and wonder of the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Not just for the future, which it is. We look forward to a great future. We've got hope, but also we can experience right here, right now. I don't know what you're facing right now. Maybe you're at your wit's end and you don't know where to turn. About home or marriage or life. You're not sure what direction to take. Why not recommit your heart? Why not Lay hold of the power of the resurrected life of Christ by his spirit in and through you. Now, it's interesting there. It says, doesn't it, um, in, the, in that verse 12 there, it says, when after they took, now after all of that, do it again, Lord, they're saying. Do it again, Lord, they're saying. Do it again. Can you imagine them? Wow, we came out of Egypt. He's opened up a way for the River Jordan. He's going to do even more. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. But doing it again doesn't mean do it the same as. 
necessarily. Look at this, verse 12. It says in verse 12, When they took the meal, they ate from the produce of the land. They made that meal with the produce of the land. It says the manna stopped. Did you notice that? Read it for yourself at some stage. It says the manna stopped. Manna was the miracle bread that God gave to the people in the wilderness. That miracle, that type of miracle, that stopped. That's really interesting. Because at that point, I'd be saying, yay, do it again. going to be even more. And then all of a sudden, hang on a minute. We've had to do this ourselves. Where's the miracle in that? Well, the miracle was they were now in the promised land and they were going to eat from this amazing land. But there's a moral, there's a, there's, a, there's a learning in there for you and I, and it's this, that God has fresh ways for new days. Doesn't mean to say it's not God. Just because it's a fresh way, doesn't mean to say, sometimes in Christian life, we can say, if he doesn't do it like this, and if it's not like that, that's not a miracle. Or that's not the way the Holy Spirit moves. Be really careful. It could be that he does that again and again and again. Or it could be that as he does on this occasion, he did something. This is why it's so important to have a fresh walk, to keep in touch with the Holy Spirit, to keep in touch with him. Fresh ways often come in the heart of God for new days. And throughout church history, we've seen the Holy Spirit move through the church in fresh ways. And usually people say, that's not right. God doesn't work like that. And, you know, and th- there can be a danger that we can say, that's how you do it, God, or that's how it's done, uh, friend, or that's how it... Be prepared that he might do something new. There could be a change. We say, change? Change? Oh, I love change. We don't, actually. Very often it shakes us. It shakes me at times when I think, you've done that differently, Lord. In hindsight, we say, it was great when God moved and he moved in a new way, fresh ways, in hindsight. But when it's actually happening to you, can you imagine them on that day? Where's the manna? I can just imagine people coming to me. Adrian, where's the manna? You know, that's not a miracle. What's going on? Where's the Holy Spirit? Where's the anointing? Well, we've ate from the land and the miracle is we're standing in it today. You know, God does fresh things. He does new. So we've just got to be prepared for that. The power of Passover is fresh. The miracles are fresh, so we've got to keep a fresh heart, an open heart, an open mind, and keep the doors of our hearts wide open to the Holy Spirit. Say, have your way, have your way. Finally, thirdly, remember the power of Passover, and it's a a, a realization that God is sovereign. They renewed the covenant relationship. They remembered the power of Passover. And the third um, part in this act of consecration is there was a realization that God is sovereign. Interesting part of the story here. Uh, After all of that, and they're healing up, and they're getting ready, and they're getting ready to move out to conquer this huge city that is a stronghold ahead of them. Um, Joshua is wandering along, as you do, with his sword in his hand, as you do. And uh, he comes across a warrior, uh, an amazing warrior with a sword, realizing it's... Someone pretty amazing. And he says this, are you, it's in verses 13 and 15, are you for us or against us? You'll read it in the line of the story. It says, as Joshua was with his sword, he comes across a warrior, it's an angel, with their sword drawn. And he says to this angel, are you for us or against us? And then a rather interesting reply comes, neither. I am now come. I thought, what? You know, it's quite a simple question. Are you with me? Or are you against me? You know, it's, 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 it's quite a simple one, isn't it? And the angel says, neither. I have now come. Basically, it's this. You know, God isn't for us or against us. He comes to take charge. 
He's the king, he's sovereign. In this world of rights, in this world, which we are, we do have rights, and in this world of being an individual, and we are individuals, and we celebrate, and how wonderful that is. Also in this world, it's we do things our way. And it, it, I, can, I can fall into the trap that says, well, God, I, I, you know, this is my plan, and this is what I want to do, and, and this is where I want to go. Will you please bless it? Bless it now. Bless us, Lord. And what God is trying to say is, Come back from that plan. Come back from that step. You've taken too many steps. You've run before you can even start. I want you to rely on me. And so the, the angel said, some, some Bible commentators say this is, this is either a, a chief warrior angel or it's what's called possibly a, the, a theophany, which is a mouthful to say at this point of the day. But it's like God turning up, Jesus turning up. Okay? And he says, I've come to take charge. I'm not for you nor against you. I'm not, I've come to take charge. God is sovereign of the universe, sovereign of the earth. I don't know about you, but as I pre- we prayed this morning, I find, I find the whole thing, um, you know, uh, Brexit and exit and how bad it is and how good it is and how, and how terrible and China and now the new superpower and the world's going to go belly up. And we're all, you know, you can call me simplistic. You could call me stupid if you like. But this I am secure in. I know God is sovereign. I am convinced that he's in charge. And when he comes to say, are you for me, God? Or are you against me? He says, I've come so that you can come and follow me. It's the other way around. We're with him. We're with him. And this is what Joshua had to learn. Now, it's very interesting. At this point, Joshua does something quite amazing. Uh, I think he was ready for a fight. There was someone who was standing, bearing in mind, they were, they're ready for a fight. They're ready, to, they're ready for attack. He would have had his sword. There's someone with the sword. And then he realizes, this is almighty God. And he does something quite amazing. Um, it says there that when Joshua realized that, God was, that he was sovereign, is at this point, it says, he fell before him in worship. He fell before him in worship. I would say to you that the reason that the Israelite people were so successful in the next account of the story, which is when they take the city of Ai, the city of Jericho rather, is that Joshua and the people learnt that it's God who is sovereign, it's God who is king, it's God who is in charge. You know, God is, when we come into the New Testament understanding of God, God is good, God is love, God is Father. How good is that that Jesus shows us? But he's in control. He's the God of the universe. He's God of the earth. He's God of the universe. He's God of the stars. He's God of my life and your life, that which is hidden. A circumstance. He's not taken by surprise. He's not outstretched with ability. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. And this all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present God is good. We read that God is love. He can do no wrong. He's a God of justice and goodness mercy and kindness, and he's in charge. He's got the first say, he created the world. He's the alpha, it says in the book of Revelation. And he's got the last say when he finishes it all at the end. He's the omega, it says in the book of Revelation. God said, let there be light, and he will call it to a conclusion when we come before him at his throne. And so, you know, there comes a point in our lives whereby we renew our relationship we recall the power of his resurrection and we give our hearts an acknowledgement that you're my king, that you are the one who I give my life to.
I'm not the captain of my own soul. I give you my heart. I give you my life. That's what it means to have a recollection and under realization that God is sovereign. It's this. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my soul. Circumstances in your hands. Now, for me, this has been a great understanding. Um, Joshua was a, a, a leader. As a, as a Christian, as a father, as a, a leader in life and in, in church from time to time, for me, it's been so good to know that God is in charge. I'm not in charge, nor is anyone else in charge. The loudest voice is in charge, but God is the one through Jesus Christ in the power of his Holy Spirit. For me, it's been a great thing. I think some of the, the if we could understand this, the splits that there is in church and in the world of the church for the people that want this or don't want that or we've got to have that would be dissolved and dealt with because God will always have his way. That's not being fatalistic. It's faith in a sovereign God. If we come and give our hearts to him, he will have his way in your marriage. He will have his way in your home. He will have his way in our lives. Whatever that means. I don't know what it means for you. I only know what it means for me as I seek to follow his plan for my life. So this morning, as we finish, as we conclude now, we're going to just worship together in a moment or two as we conclude. Can we be the people that will stand up, renew our relationship, remember the power of Passover, and realize that God is sovereign? Let's stand up this morning. Should we stand together? Should we stand together? Let's renew our relationship. Be fresh today. Let's remember the power of Passover, the power of his resurrection. Do it today. You did it then. Do it again, Lord. And let's realize that he is sovereign. Come and take charge. Come and have your way in my church, in our nation, in our lives, in our circumstance, in this situation. As we stand up, then God calls us. As we consecrate and give our hearts afresh to then step out. Take a step. We'll be, be the generation that will step out in God, that makes a step, gives him our lives, gives him our talents, gives him our treasure, gives him our church, gives him our today. We'll then be the generation that God is looking for today. A new generation, fresh in heart, fresh in hope, fresh in vision. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we say thank you that you are alive, Jesus. We give you our hearts afresh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We, I ask, Father God, that we be renewed in our relationship, that we would be able to remember in, with a living experience of the power of your resurrection, that we would realize through revelation in the Spirit that you are sovereign, you're in charge. And in any of our circumstances that we're worried about, would you come and just take the weight and the worry and the anxiety off of my shoulders and off of my life as I release myself through a realization that you're in charge. Come in our nation. We pray for our government. We pray for our government. They've got, rather than criticize everybody, I'd rather pray for them. We pray for them today, Lord, our government. Despite our persuasion of which party we would vote for, there's, there's, a, there's a, a tangled web to get through. And we just pray for our nation. We just ask that righteousness would be exalted. We pray for wisdom for our politicians. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you come and be sovereign and have your way. We've, we've been a nation of the book. We just pray now, Lord, that we be renewed. Renew your church. Renew us today. Have your way. Oh, Father God, we pray throughout the nations. Come and have your way. Cause a church to be renewed, revived, refreshed, restored. We want to rise up Step up, but also step out with fresh vision, passion, and power, we ask, as we give ourselves to you afresh. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
If you're here this morning, do you need to renew your relationship? I'm not going to ask you to t- tell me that. Do you need to renew your covenant relate? Renew the covenant. Renew the relationship. For some of us this morning, maybe we do. You know, it's easy. The fires can grow cold through the pace of life and stuff and disappointment, particularly disappointment, heartbreak. It can snuff out the fires, as it were. And so perhaps this morning it's a case of renewing our commitment, saying, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I give you my life afresh. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you, you're a good person. You perhaps believe in God. You maybe even read the Bible. Perhaps you pray. These are great things. But, you know, you need to have a, we need to have a living relationship with Jesus. And to that, he says, believe in your heart that he is Lord. God rose him from the dead. Give him your heart and life. Perhaps you're here this morning and it's the need to give my life to him, to God for the first time. So as we sing the words of this, this song, receive our adoration. If you feel that you need to renew your commitment or relationship for whatever reason, just do that with our hands raised to heaven. Say, Lord, I give you my heart afresh. Holy Spirit, will you just fill me anew, I ask in your name right now. If that's you, then just pray that over your life as we raise our hands to heaven. If you feel that you need, I need to give you my life, God, for the first time. I'm going to give you my life. Then do that right here, right now. Let's lift our hands to heaven and do that. Make a commitment and reach out to him and step out as we sing these words just for the last time this morning. But let's do that. And for some of us, there is a need for renewal. Let's do that, shall we?